The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. All right, don't put your hymnals away yet. Open up to page 328. Page 328. Take a look with me real quick. I wanted to introduce you to something that's in our hymnal. Actually, it's part of the small catechism, which is the collection of texts from the Bible that are most foundational for our faith, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, concerning baptism and the Lord's Supper and confession, that's the first part of the small catechism. But there are four parts to the small catechism. The second part you can find on page 327, and that contains some daily prayers, prayers that are helpful to pray in the morning and in the evening or at dinner time. So Martin Luther crafted these prayers to help us to pray. And then section three is what you see on page 328. Section three, the table of duties. Now, this is an interesting section in the Catechism. You can see it's a list of stations in life, different positions you might have. Are you a pastor? Are you a hearer? Are you a member of the government? Are you a citizen? Are you a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, a worker, an employer? What are you? And under each of those headings, you can see that there is a Bible passage attached, which helps us to understand what the duties are that God gives to such a person. So what does God expect of pastors? What does he expect of hearers. I'm interested today in looking especially at what God expects of parents and of children. So if you notice in the right-hand column there, to parents and to children, two passages are listed from Ephesians chapter 6 for parents, Ephesians 6 verse 4, and Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 3 for children. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians concerning parents and children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's for children. And then here's for parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's helpful to know that you have these Bible passages here as you think about your responsibilities in life, whether it's as a parent or a child or in any other station in life, to remember what God says. You heard it in our epistle lesson today. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. If you ask the world what you should do, you will get the wrong answer. You can go ahead and put your hymnals away now. If you ask the world what you should do as a parent, as a child, as a husband, as a wife, as a member of the government, as a citizen, you will get the wrong answer. Because the world does not know what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, instead, we should ask the scriptures. And that's where that section of the catechism is so helpful. What do the scriptures say about parents and children? Now, this is a good text for us to consider today when we hear about Jesus as a child relating to his parents. There are some very surprising things that happen in our gospel lesson. Good things for us to consider as we think about who we are as parents or as children. Now, one of the things to observe right out of the gate is that what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 is night and day different from what the world would say to parents and children. Paul says, children, obey your parents. Be submissive to your parents. Honor them. And parents, raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What would the world say? Have you thought about this before? What is the world's counsel for parents and for children? What do they say? If you think about the most common kind of catechesis in our world, the most common instruction in our world, it really is something like Disney movies, which teach children all kinds of values, for better or for worse. So what is the message of so many Disney movies for children? It's follow your heart. Follow your heart. Be yourself. Do what it is that you want to do, and don't let anybody get in your way, especially, especially your parents. Notice how different that is from what Paul says. Honor your father and mother. Don't follow your own heart, but listen instead to them, and what they say is good and true and holy. And then how about for parents? I was looking at the, uh, the government website earlier this week, fatherhood.gov. There's a website for fathers hosted by our government. It's an interesting thing. The advice that they give to fathers is very simple. It's in the first place, just be there. And that sounds really nice. Except when they say just be there, they mean just be there and don't get in the way. <laughs> be there and don't tell your kids what to do. Be there and let your kids be themselves. Just be present. And then their other advice is tell some dad jokes. So there's, really, there's three items on their menu. One is be present and the next one is tell dad jokes. That's what it means, as far as our government is concerned, for you to be a good father or a good parent. That's not what Paul says. That's not what the scriptures say. Listen, again, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Of all the things that could have been listed there, of all the things that could have mattered, this is the one thing that matters most of all. More important than putting food on the table or clothing on their bodies or a roof over their head is this, raising children and the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, all of that is just set up, context, for what happens today in our gospel lesson. We learn some remarkable things from listening to Jesus, from watching Jesus, and from observing his parents. To get at this, though, to consider these matters, we have to get out of the way some misconceptions about Jesus in the first place. If you were to ask what kind of a child Jesus was, I suppose, I think, the most common answer would have been he was a perfect child. That makes sense, a perfect child. The kind of child who, according to the hymn, no crying he makes. Now, I don't want to ruin A Way in a Manger for you. <laughs> I like that hymn just as much as anybody else. But it's not true that Jesus did not cry. We saw him cry when he went to Lazarus's tomb. He wept because he was sad. Why do babies cry? 
because they're sad. Not because they're sinners, but they cry because they're sad or hungry or tired. All of things, all of this, those things are things that Jesus himself experienced. We saw that throughout his life. Hungry and tired and weary, needing to speak to his heavenly father, crying, full of grief, brokenhearted, all kinds of things that you and I experience, that babies experience, that children experience. So when we say that Jesus was perfect, what we do not mean is that he never cried, that he was the perfectly well-behaved baby, that he never broke anything, never knocked anything off the table, that he never made any trivial mistakes like uh, cutting his hair off when he shouldn't have. Never things like that. Instead, what we mean is that Jesus was sinless. Sinless. In fact, that's what the writer of the Hebrews tells us. Jesus is like us in every regard, tempted in every way, just as you and I are, except for this one fact that he did not sin, which means that he confronted all of the same temptations that you and I confront as grown-ups, as children. He saw them all, and he did not succumb. But that doesn't mean he didn't have to wrestle. It does not mean that he did not have to resist them. Consider how Jesus wrestled and resisted in the Garden of Gethsemane as his crucifixion was approaching. Consider how Jesus wrestled and resisted in the desert while Satan was tempting him. How he appealed to his father for help, how his father sent angels to minister to him, how he appealed to the word of God. Jesus had to fight temptation, just like you and I do. So the difference is simply this, that he overcame temptation. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, but without sin. So here's the question for you to consider today. How did Jesus learn all of that? How did he learn to resist temptation? How did he learn to flee from evil? How did he learn to trust in his heavenly Father? Now you can imagine that things would be very easy for Mary and Joseph because they had a perfect child, but I think our text reveals something quite opposite today. After all, Mary comes to Jerusalem. What does she say? The same thing that every parent has ever said. What were you thinking? (laughs) What were you thinking? Didn't you know that your father and I are in great distress? Having Jesus as your son doesn't make things easy. In fact, maybe it makes them harder. I'm not sure. How was it that Jesus learned? How was it that Jesus grew up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Well, it's the same way that sinners like you and I grow up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The same way that you and I learn the faith, learn to trust our Heavenly Father, learn to flee from evil, learn to resist temptation, it's because his parents taught him. Think about how that went. We heard that note at the beginning of the Gospel lesson. They went up every year to Jerusalem as was their custom. There's a lot packed in there. They observed the Passover. They did what God told them to do. They heard the stories about how God rescued his people from Egypt. And they remembered those words that were taught in Deuteronomy. Parents, write these words down. Recite them all the time. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you're on your way, make this your conversation that our God is our Redeemer, that he is our Savior. How did Jesus learn the faith? Well, probably the very same way he learned everything else. How to walk, how to talk, how to be a human being. He learned it from his parents. That is significant. That is significant because it tells us that Jesus needed his parents. He needed his parents. Now, it's important to note, he needed them in a different way than you and I need our parents. We need our parents by nature, by human nature. Jesus needs his parents by human nature, but it's only because he sets aside his divinity. He did not have to. 
He does not need his parents because he had to become human, because he had to be born of the Virgin Mary, but he needs his parents because he has chosen to need the same things that you and I need. He has chosen to be hungry. He has chosen to be sick. He's chosen to be weak and frail. He's chosen to succumb to the problems of this world, to grief and to sorrow and to loss. He's chosen to do that not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. But in setting aside his divinity, now he finds himself or puts himself in this position of needing the very same things that you and I need. After all, he needed his mother while he was in her womb. If she hadn't taken care of herself, what would have happened? He needed his mother when he was born. He needed his father when he was a little tiny baby. He needed them to take care of him, to provide for all of, their material, all of his material needs. A roof over his head, clothing on his body, food for his mouth. He needed his parents. But as much as he needed them for those purposes, he needed them also for this, and especially for this, for his spiritual needs. Now again, Jesus doesn't need things in exactly the same way as you and I do, but only because he sets aside his divinity. But on account of that, he was born into this world as a little baby who could not speak and could not talk and could not understand the way that adults can. And so he needed to learn the same way that you and I learn. His parents taught him. They taught him by their example, they taught him by their words, they taught him, and they were amazed. Now, this is just a marvelous part of our lesson. They were amazed at how well it paid off. They show up in Jerusalem, and they're looking for Jesus, and they find him in the temple, and they kind of can't believe that he would be there. Where do you suppose they had been looking for those three days? All kinds of other places, I imagine, places you'd expect a kid to go. And when they find him in the temple, he says, didn't you know, these are Jesus' first words in the gospel, Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? It paid off better than Mary and Joseph could have realized. Jesus had learned the lessons well. He knew that his whole life, just as your life and mine, is meant to be about our heavenly father's business. That's what Jesus had learned. And so there he was in the temple, speaking with the teachers, knowing far more than anyone could have imagined. Why? Because he knew the scriptures. Because he had heard God's word. Because he understood that his heavenly father loved him and meant good things for him. This story, this this lesson from Luke chapter 2, shows us something remarkable about the relationship between parents and children. Jesus glorifies that relationship. He magnifies it beyond measure. We tend to think about relationships in this world as kind of optional. So you can opt in or out of certain relationships. You can disown your family. You can leave your spouse. You can do whatever you want. You can write off people as easily as you can. But Jesus shows us that these relationships, relationships between parents and children, relationships of family, relationships of faith, that those relationships are fundamental. They matter most of all. He glorifies them. And he shows us that parents and children are indispensable for one another. If Jesus needed his parents, if he needed them to provide for him, if he needed them to teach him, how much more do our children need us to teach them and lead them and guide them? If Jesus needed to honor his father and mother, how much more do we need to honor our parents and be submissive to them? If Jesus gave the good example of one who had learned the lessons well, how much more ought we to show that example to one another in our lives of faith. It turns out that as Jesus glorifies these relationships, he shows us something that the world could never understand. That obedience to parents, submitting to your parents, honoring your father and mother, whether you are young 
or old is the most glorious work that a child can do. The most glorious work that a child can do. Think about that wherever you are in life. To honor your parents is to keep the fourth commandment, the first commandment that God gives to children, the first commandment that comes with a promise. It is the most glorious work. It is a work that makes the angels in heaven rejoice. When you honor your father and mother, you're doing just what Jesus did. What could be better than that? Even after Jesus was found in the temple, even after he was putting the teachers to shame because he knew the scriptures better than they did, even then, even after his mother and father were perplexed and couldn't understand what was going on, Jesus went home and he obeyed his father and mother. He put away his socks and he cleaned up after himself because they told him to. How much more marvelous is it when we, poor sinners, honor our parents? Because God equips us to do that, because he gives us a spirit to do just that. How much more glorious is it when we poor sinners raise up children who are sinful in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Training in the fear and admonition of the Lord is the most glorious work of parents and it does not end when your children are grown. You do not stop become being a parent when your children leave the house. But this task goes on and on and on. There is no more glorious work for parents than to pray for their children, to pray that they would hear God's word, that they would believe it, that they would repent of their sins and enter into eternity. There is no more glorious work. Of all the things that you could do for your children, leaving behind a fortune, being glad that they have found a great career for themselves, that they made a way in their life, none of that compares to this, to seeing them in heaven. The work goes on, and there is no more glorious work than this. Now, when we talk about these things, when we talk about what is good and what is perfect, what Jesus tells us to do, there is always the question of sin. There's always the question of sin. This is a topic I want to take up in the weeks ahead. What do we do about sin? That is, what do we do when we look back on our lives and realize where we have neglected our responsibilities, where we children have not honored our parents, where we parents have not raised our children in the fear and the nurture of the Lord? What do we do when we look back and see that we have failed? What do we do when we are failing now? What do we do with sin? This is perhaps the most important thing you need to know as a Christian. What do you do with sin? You leave it behind and let Jesus take care of it. You leave it behind. That's what repentance is. You leave sin behind because it is awful. Who wants to neglect their children? Who wants to dishonor their parents? Leave it behind. Leave it behind and believe. That the reason Jesus came and took on human flesh and obeyed his parents and his heavenly father, the reason why he lived a perfect, sinless life, was so that he could die on the cross to pay the price for all of your sin. For every last bit of it. For the things you knew you were doing wrong, the things you did not know, the things that you have yet to do, they are all paid for by Jesus. So leave them behind. Don't hold on to them. Let them go. They're gone. And instead, live a new life. Live a new life. That's what it means to leave sin behind. Not to spend our days looking back at where we have been and what we have done, but instead looking ahead to what God has now given us to do. And look, the task goes on for parents and for children. You don't ever stop being a parent or a child. You don't ever stop. And so, live lives of godliness now, according to God's promises. That's what you do with sin. You let Jesus take care of it. You let him forgive it. And instead, you live now in the light of his life, of his goodness, of his grace. At peace because he has forgiven you all your sins and has promised you a heavenly kingdom. 
at peace because he has given you his Holy Spirit. So that although you look at the task ahead of you, whatever station you have in life, you go down that list, you can find all kinds of tasks that you, seem, you think are impossible as they stand in front of you. How could I ever do this? Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit, his very own spirit, so that these good works which he has laid before you are the works that he will accomplish in you. Again, think about Mary and Joseph. They didn't really know what they were doing. Nobody does. <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how it would pay off. They were perplexed and amazed when they simply did the things that God asked them to do. They taught Jesus the scriptures, and then one day he was in the temple teaching the teachers. They trusted in God, and their son lived a perfect life. They trusted in God, and Jesus, who had been entrusted in their care, became the savior of the world, a task far too great for any parents, that's for sure. Think of everything that could have gone wrong. And yet God gave that task to Mary and Joseph. He's given you all kinds of marvelous tasks, all kinds of marvelous duties in this life. They seem impossible. They are daunting. They are fraught with sin and temptation, but rejoice. Because your sins have been forgiven. And it is Jesus himself who will fulfill these good works in you. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.